Hey everybody, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Lowdown Society podcast. Today we are coming to you from Burbank, California, in the home studio and rehearsal space of Mr. Derek Frank. It's a wonderland of basses and amps, and it was a really fun location to get to hang with Derek. Today's episode of the Lowdown Society is brought to you by the DSM noisemaker Omnicab Sim Deluxe Tweakable Cabinet Simulator Pedal. The pedal is 100% analog, there's no ADDA lag. The control rangers are suitable for any instrument. You can adapt your cab simulation to the quality of the front house and room characteristics. It is the only truly hassle-free tweakable cabinet simulator. There's no preset surfing or PC needed. It features a stereo headphone out, aux in, 9 volt battery clip, and it's perfect for silent practicing and travel. The pedal is a great tool for pro musicians that rely on the front house equipment and great for recording reamping as well. You can get yours from www.dsmnoisemaker.com. Following Derek's career over the last few years, I've been really impressed with his versatility. Everything from rock to hard rock to funk to pop, he seems to do it all great. So I had lots of questions for him, and I hope you guys enjoy. Without any further ado, here's Mr. Derek Frank. So we are in uh, Burbank, California with uh, Mr. Derek Frank. How are you, man? I'm good. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me. First of all, thanks for taking the time out to do this because you've been super busy lately. It's been a little crazy. Yeah, but yeah. that's a, a blessing, not a curse. Of in our course, industry, right? of course, you know, feast or famine. Well, I'm sort of notorious on these podcasts for uh, never doing anything in chronological order. Okay. So I think we'll start with the very last thing that I saw. You okay. just subbed for Shakira. I did. Yep, um, I did that, not this last weekend, the weekend before, about a week and a half ago. What was the original, but was it one of those things where, the, where the, her bass player was having a kid or getting married or having a uh, funeral in the family? or Something like that, yeah, okay. he had a family family issue, he had to, he had to get off the road and go, go be with his family. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they called me in a sub, um, it was kind of open-ended at the time because they didn't know uh, how long he'd need to be out, it was, you know, it was just kind of like take as much time as you need and I, t- I told him like I'll cover as, as much as you need me to if it's one show if it's 10 shows just do your thing and let yeah. me know when you want to come back and I'll keep your seat warm for you you know so um yeah so I just I went out uh yeah without much notice I had maybe like I don't know four days notice or something like that so really and at the time I was doing um I was about to go do a gig with Shania and so I had to kind of focus on that for a couple of days. Like she had a bunch of new songs, so I had to like learn her songs. So I was like, okay, I can't get into the uh, Shakira material till after the Shania show. Mm-hmm. Um, so did the Shania show. Then then I had I think three days of shedding to get ready for Shakira. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll just you know, I, I I have to get the Shania tunes out of my head before I can put the Shakira tunes in. Yeah. So then I had about three days of shedding. Flew out to Chicago. Had one rehearsal at the venue. It was the start of the of the of the. Uh, North American leg of their tour. Mm-hmm. So um, we had one production rehearsal before the show. So I did that. So um, yeah, three days of shedding on my own, uh, one rehearsal, and yeah, and go, go rock an arena. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so did they send you a recent board tape? 
they sent me um sort of they the um one of the former bass players eric curtis uh mm-hmm. he he did he was he's been with her for a few years um he's not doing this tour but he's kind of been like the bass coach now so he sort of coached the current bass player joe ayub so he had recordings of rehearsal with like his bass mixed real hot. Mm-hmm. So that's what he gave to Joe to prepare for the tour, and that's and then me and him got together actually here in town. He came over here into this room and um, he sent me his recordings from the rehearsals, and uh, I just learned that and just kind of learned that verbatim because that's what they were used to, yeah. you know. So I just listened to those rehearsal recordings, uh, learned those bass lines, and then he came over here and we just kind of talked about things, you know, um, what you know what she likes and all that, you know. Yeah. Well, that sounds like the ultimate thing, really, because sometimes when you go in a sub, even on a well-established tour, there's, they send you a board tape that's maybe a few months old, and they've made a few changes yeah, since then, yeah. and the bass is mixed low, mm-hmm. and, and you're like, well, I can't, I can't do my best work with these. Uh, yeah. So it sounds like you're getting a, a recent board tape or a board tape from the bass player with the bass mixed hot, and then you get personal time with him too. Yeah, so yeah, it definitely helped. I mean, even though I had limited time, it was cool because I got to shed on my own for a whole day first. Then I think the next day I shedded, he came over, we hung for like an hour. Then the next day, the drummer, Brendan Buckley, who's the one that, he's the one that threw my name in the hat for it. Mm-hmm. I've known him forever. Um, he came over here and we played through the set. So mm-hmm. that was great. I got to play through the set with the drummer. So it's kind of, wow. I, I had to, I got to have like a pseudo rehearsal. You At know, your house. With him. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, and then and then flew out to Chicago and did that. Um, but yeah, like like you said, it's kind of typical that like when you're subbing on something or starting a new gig or whatever it is, the recordings you get aren't always the most current version. So you always got to go on YouTube. There's always fan videos, yeah. and it's like you know, you know, the camera's always shaky and whatever. But at least you can like hear the arrangements. You can yeah. hear where they stop and start. Yeah. So like you always have to do that because yeah, even I think um, I I got. I got some recordings from the MD at first and it was just like their backing tracks. It's probably like what they sent the band to like uh, start getting stuff together for rehearsals. And it yeah. didn't really give a whole lot of information. It was like, okay, I'm going to have to like look on YouTube or hit up Eric and, you know, or Joe and, and get actual like, you know, board recordings or something. Yeah. Yeah. So her show, is it electric bass the whole time or any synth? It's, it's a lot of synth bass. Um, four string five string and a little bit of upright oh wow so yeah. all of it and even cello yeah. yeah there's one song um uh with cello and i do not play cello so luckily through uh uh you know probably shouldn't admit this but through through the miracles of technology yeah i was able to pretend to play cello while <laughs> yeah while they had a, a track going that's no worse than us doing tv jobs with live vocal oh, and pre-track yeah. bands yeah it's, done that a bunch yeah yeah, yeah. so how would you, since you were so fresh off similar level gigs, how was the fun level and how did the Shakira gig differ from, say, the other gigs that we'll talk about later that um, you've had recently? Well, it, it was super fun. And, and honestly, I kind of get off on that challenge of like having to learn a whole set of music with very limited rehearsal mm-hmm. and then just going in and your first time really playing playing the show is is playing it in front of 15,000 people like yeah. I get off on that like I I when I joined the band Air Supply a couple years ago mm-hmm. it was kind of like that it was just like they sent me the stuff um and then no rehearsal my first time meeting them was was in New Zealand I flew to New Zealand and uh you know did an arena show you know with we, we didn't even run the whole set we ran like maybe six songs in soundcheck 
and like they didn't really want to rehearse they're like ah, do you do you, you know all these songs it's like yeah yeah i'm good they're like all right cool you know yeah and so like my first time playing the set down was in an arena um and i kind of get off on that challenge it's yeah. kind of like all right i'm gonna do this okay you know so that's that's kind of fun to me yeah well that's where kind of not just uh natural born talent but you and i not being 20 anymore it's kind of like when experience comes in too that you can sure. do something like oh yeah, that. yeah yeah sure and it's nice that someone will trust you to do that yeah too you know yeah. they're not going to freak out like oh my god you haven't like really played the whole set and all yeah. this it's uh, yeah but really it's yeah it's only music yeah right <laughs> yeah so well props to shakira for letting her guy take off for you know at the start of an american leg mm-hmm. normally an artist would be very high maintenance and sort of nervous or picky for for a show like that because you might have some press there and and the fact that she that she's letting the other guy come yeah. back that I mean I think that's a lot to. about the artist yeah I mean I yeah. think when someone has a family emergency yeah. you, you you know you, you have to let them take time off it's like family first you know yeah. some artists maybe aren't like that but yeah. you know those are the kind of things that I, those are the kind of artists that I wouldn't want to work with yeah. you know yeah. it's like if you have a sick family member or something like that and you got to go they got to let you go yeah you know, and, and she was really cool. She was, um, it was my first time meeting her and she immediately, when I showed up, she was just very welcoming, like gave me a hug, said, thanks for being here. And, um, you know, thanks for putting in the work. And it was just nice to be appreciated like that. Oh, of course. Cause some, some artists, I don't know, they might not get it like that, yeah. you know? Um, but she was real cool. Um, yeah. And it, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was cool. That they just, that she just kind of like left it up to her band to, to bring somebody in, you yeah. know, and just trusted, you know, Brendan, the drummer, just pr- trusted him to bring in somebody that, that he thought would do a good job. As a super so, smart yeah. artist to ask the drummer for a sub-bass right. player. Right, right, Yeah, of course, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, how sure. you, that's how you do it. Yeah. So that was just a few days after or a few days before you did, like, a kind of a comeback Shania gig, right? Yeah, well, um... Yeah, it was a few days after. I'm I'm actually leaving tomorrow to do a show with Shania in Brazil. She has a one-off down there, a festival down there that okay. I'm doing. Um, and so I did a kind of a warm-up show with her in Denver. They were just trying to, since there's going to be no rehearsal for the Brazil thing, yeah. they just wanted to get me in just to play a show so that the front of house guy could get me plugged into his mix. And just, you know, it's kind of a rehearsal for me. Yeah. Um, so I just, like, yeah, went to Denver and played an arena. That was kind of fun. So the Shania thing, last time you and I hung out was over mm-hmm. drinks late yeah. night in Nashville just like, a few at, months ago. At Old Glory, I think. Yeah, yeah. Great bar. Really yeah, it place. is. It's yeah. so not pretentious. And, yeah, it's rad. Yeah. At that time, Shania was touring with no bass player. Right. And I think our buddy Corey, the MD, was just playing a few songs or having yeah. one in his hand at some point? Yeah. Um, yes, it's an interesting show. She's very much going for, you know, a visual presentation. There's, like, all these crazy, like, video cubes and, like, you know, um, dancers and lasers and, you know, all this, like, crazy visual stuff. So the focus for her right now is, is on that. So it's kind of a different show. It's not so much like a rock show like it was before. Mm-hmm. So, um, and she's out now. She's doing a massive world tour, but it's only a four-piece band, no bass. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Corey plays bass on one song, and Allison, the fiddle player, she plays bass on one song, and everything else is in the box. Um, so that's what's going on with her right now. Yeah. So, but the Brazil show, you'll play the whole show, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. she's, I think because it's a one-off, um, they didn't want to bring all the production elements down, so they're not bringing the dancers, they're mm-hmm. not bringing any of the crazy video stuff, it's just going to be a rock show. So, in that case, they figured, okay, might as well expand the band, at least bring the bass player back. Yeah. Um, so, I'm the only one that's that's coming back. Um, so, it's just going to be a five-piece band. Oh, cool. But that- they added me to the mix, and uh, it'd be great to play with those guys again. Yeah. 
So that brings us to, you said, it's not as much of a rock show as you used to do. And what you're mm -hmm. referring to is the Rock This Country tour, right? Yes. Which you did. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. how you and I met at that right. audition. That's right. Uh -huh. Which you ended up getting. And I thought it was great because I've only done a few sort of major L.A. auditions. And I remember us having a shit ton of time to talk that day because it was very that was hard. A hang. Yeah. It was a very much hurry up and wait situation. Yeah, we were all just outside just kind of yeah. hanging out and eventually they'd call us in. Yeah, 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 it was just you and me at the end of the day too. Right, right. Is that a common thing in L.A.? That, that audition, was that... Was that uh, they had cameras there, obviously, because she yeah, wanted to she view the there, videos. Yeah. And yeah. was that set up a pretty standard LA audition? Uh, no, I mean I don't really know what standard is because I feel like every audition I do is different. Okay. Sometimes the artist is there, sometimes they're not. A lot of times there will be like a preliminary audition where it's just video, and they send that to the artist. She narrows it down. He or she narrows it down, and then they come to the you know the callback. Yeah. Um, uh, the Shania audition was different. That was one of my favorite auditions to do, actually, because I think at that point she had narrowed it down to four bass players and six drummers. Mm -hmm. And um, there were some Nashville guys like your, yourself and, mm -hmm. and a couple L.A. guys. Some of us didn't know each other, but I remember it was like a seven-hour day. Like, yeah. we were at center staging. We're all just sitting at the, you know, the little picnic tables outside. And yeah. It was a hang. It was yeah. cool. Yeah, it was. I, I enjoyed the hell out of that. Um, but... Uh, Let's see. And that one was one where it, it wasn't a callback. It was just like, and I'm sure you probably sent in a video audition or you sent in like a web, your website or whatever. Yeah. Like, that, like that's what I did. I just kind of like submitted my website, a couple of YouTube things, and then ended up getting called for, for that one audition. Yeah. And they just videoed it and sent it to her and she made her decision. The, um, yeah. The, I think people might be interested in that process of how you get to that point of the audition because obviously they had more recommendations than just four bass players and six drummers. They had a lot more people, yeah. and they didn't want to pay for that many people to show up. Because the Nashville guys, they flew us in and put us up in hotels. Mm -hmm. and, and, yeah, um, that's cool. So for me, two months ahead of time, uh, you got recommended by the guitar player, right? Josh? Josh, yeah. And I got recommended by Jason, the fiddle player, right. mm -hmm. both our dear friend. Yeah. And it started with sending videos of yourself. So I sent in a bunch of like old Tonight Show videos and stuff, mm -hmm. whatever, you know. And then I was like, yeah, you... You passed stage one of the audition. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now we want to hear you play her songs. So then I made literally iPhone videos. In oh, my oh, you just sent in a video of you playing her material. Oh, okay. So uh, I, I did all the songs that I really love, and none of them are in her set or were singles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But after that, it was like, yeah, we're flying you out to do the last audition. But cool. I literally had to send in the first stage was four videos and then the ones I made of her songs me just playing along to the record was six videos so oh, that's wow. how much it took wow. to get there so I just enjoyed that part of the, the whole process of, of that mm -hmm. audition so uh -huh. I mean it's something yeah. fun for people to hear that uh, when they get the opportunity if, if somebody's listening there's so many elements to it I think now with the internet mm -hmm. they are going to want to see YouTube videos of you with sure. other artists and yeah. then if that's not enough, they might want to hear you play their songs before mm -hmm. they even want to see you in person. Yeah, so yeah. all of that stuff uh, is in play. Yeah, it's interesting. Like some, like 
some auditions are kind of arduous like that where it's like a three-step process it's like yeah. basically three auditions like yeah. you, you send in one thing then you had to do your video film your videos and then you showed up to la to do the actual audition some are like that they're kind of like long takes it's a long process others you might just get a call from an md saying hey can you do this yeah and then there's no audition the artist just trusts the md to bring somebody in yeah which obviously is our favorite way to get a gig uh, yeah absolutely. and you don't have to do any go through any of that stressful stuff it's like you know they just have the md get someone they trust you know yeah or like i've found that sometimes you might audition for something and you don't get the gig and then later on, you just get a call for it. And because you already auditioned, you don't have to audition again. That was the story of Eva Gardner with Pink. She had oh, wow. auditioned for uh, the... Uh, she said she auditioned a year and a half or two years before the Pink audition. She auditioned for one of the talent... I think it was the original audition for The Voice or American Idol. One of those hmm. backup bands on the talent TV shows. Huh. So Paul Merkowitz, who was... At Pink's MD, mm -hmm. uh, remembered her from that audition, and that's how she mm, that's cool. got to come to the Pink audition. Oh, that's cool. So that was, you know, that has been the few auditions I've done. It's always, of course, you're usually interested in the gig, but you always go, as long as somebody remembers what I did at that audition, it's never a loss of time oh, of or course. effort. You know? Yeah, you can never be bummed if you don't get a gig through an audition because you never know where it's going to lead. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've. I'll, you know, I don't like auditioning, but I'll go, anytime I get an opportunity, I will. Yeah. I'll go do it because you're going you're gonna to meet people there. It's a chance to be heard. If it doesn't work out for you then, you know, it's just like that. You might get a call later on. Yeah. Like for me, the, the, uh, the Gwen Stefani gig, it kind of happened like that. Like yeah. I auditioned for her two years ago, didn't get it. And then when this Vegas residency came up, um, the guy who had been doing it, who she did pick from that audition, he, uh, he couldn't do it. He, he quit to join another band. And so then they just called me. Oh, so it's yeah. you know it's one of those that's, things. Like, that's case in point. Know, yeah, like I auditioned two years ago and didn't get it, but two years later, yeah, you know, got called in. That's yeah. perfect. That's a total motivational speech for people, I think, <laughs> because not that first audition was a failure, but it's it's a way for people to think of all that effort you put in back then. It's, mm -hmm. it's never just wasted time sure. out of your career. Sure. You know. Yeah, and sometimes it. I mean, that's one thing about auditions. Sometimes it can bum you out if you don't get the gig. Because um, you put in all this work and you're you're stressing out trying to figure out what it is the artist wants and you want to go in there and be that guy. Yeah. And so you you know you, you might learn extra songs, you might you know do all the synth programming, whatever it is to go in there and bring your A game. Yeah. It takes a lot of hours. And when you don't get the gig, a lot of times it can bum you out. But that's the whole you know kind of mental thing about it is like you gotta I don't know just not be too bummed if you don't get it because who knows what will happen down the road. Yeah. gig through all our audition talk um, now that you do you just got done with the first little leg of, yeah. of the Vegas residency uh -huh. the stigma of a Vegas show has certainly changed a lot in the last few years it's no longer where has-beens go to retire mm -hmm. and make easy money I think a lot of artists who's had very large success uh, that aren't retiring but they're looking to do something else and just album tour album tour I think that the Vegas show now is like a third form of expression for them. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Because 
in Vegas, you are doing the same production in the same room, which leaves all the technical personnel the chance to make a better show sonically and visually than you've mm-hmm. ever seen in an mm-hmm. arena. Yeah, That's definitely. the way I look at it. Definitely. And, and uh, uh, I just saw the Backstreet Boys show out there, which didn't even have mm-hmm. a live band, so right. I was very mm-hmm. like skeptic going into yeah, it, and I was yeah. just like, fucking loved it. You yeah. know, I thought it was great. Yeah. Oh, cool. uh, and the videos I've seen that you've posted, little minute snippets from her residency, it just looks like so much fun. Oh, it's a total blast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, musically and, and visually. I mean, it's cool to see the videos on YouTube and stuff that fans post because a lot of that stuff I don't really get to see. Because mm-hmm. there's, like, video kind of in front of the stage, on, on, like, the edges of the stage, and, like, behind us. There's stuff that we don't really see, mm-hmm. you know, as we're playing. And I mean, obviously, musically, it's a blast. I'm out there playing No Doubt songs. And it's, yeah total blast which have really fun bass lines oh god yeah 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 super fun but yeah just um watching some of those videos i'm like oh man this is a this is a really cool show like visually and uh you know sonically so prep wise for the for that show both uh we'll get to the bass specific nerd things mm-hmm. of that but just in general prep for that how long and how arduous were those rehearsals um honestly not that arduous for the band. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I got called for that when I was I was out in China touring with this guy named Daniel Powder. I was out on that tour, and that's when I got the call for the Gwen thing. And it was mm-hmm. one of those calls where the MD just called and just said, "Hey, do you want to do this? Like, mm-hmm. you already auditioned two years ago. Like, you know, uh, you know, bass player's leaving. So, do you want to do this?" And I was like, "Yeah, great." So it's just a call. And then they were starting rehearsals like soon, and uh, I was still going to be on tour. So I joined rehearsals kind of in progress. They'd already done a handful of rehearsals. So I just I had to learn all the material while I was out on the road. I would be on planes, like charting stuff out, and in dressing rooms, you know, in between sound checking the show, just like making little cheat sheets. And so, um, yeah. So then I showed up. I got home. I think on a Friday night from China. Sat, uh, Saturday morning, I was in rehearsal with her, and uh, we had. I so I was only able to make two. I think two band rehearsals, maybe four, like two or four band rehearsals, where it was just a band. Um, and she was there. And uh, then we had a break while they rehearsed the dancers, and then we went into production rehearsals. They rented a soundstage at Universal, and we, you know, they had the whole set and all that. So we did production rehearsals there. But um, they had an issue with the dance crew and the choreographer and all this, and they ended up replacing the whole dance team. So a lot of those rehearsals were just spent with us just being on call, just hanging out while they auditioned new dancers or worked on dance routines. So a lot of our rehearsals were just hanging around just kind of hanging out talking and you know all that so the rehearsals were pretty laid back you know and really after the after the first couple band rehearsals you know we 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 were in pretty good shape you know it's all professionals everybody learned their stuff a couple of the guys had been with her for years it was only actually it was only me and the guitar player that were new so as far as actual production rehearsals when she got the right dancers together when you had Mm -hmm. everything was how long did you guys rehearse once once everything was in place well, I mean, all in all, it was about a month of rehearsals. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of those, like I said, were just yeah. us kind of hanging out. Um, yeah, as far as, like, running the show, we didn't run it nearly as much as we could have or should have. Yeah. Just because every, every, we were just catching up the whole time. Yeah. So we didn't even really do a complete run-through until the day of, of the show, like the first night. Like, we didn't know what we were doing, you know, for, like, bows and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, all those kind of, like, little details, like, until, like the end of the run-through, which was, like, three hours before showtime. Yeah. You know, we did, like, one run-through, and it was it's kind of one of those things, like, all right, let's, let's, let's make this work. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Like, a so, lot of times for, for a tour like that, you, you run through the set a bunch of times, as you mm-hmm. know. Like, you, you make sure that, like, you've 
done a full dress rehearsal many times before the actual show. This like we didn't really didn't really get that. Yeah. Yeah. So how many shows for that first run? I think it was only twelve shows. Yeah, I think it was just twelve. And when's the next batch of shows? Uh, we'll start at mid December. Well, right now on the website it says uh, starting December 27th, and it's only the last weekend, but I've heard rumors that we're starting earlier. It's kind of unclear. Yeah. Sometime in December, and then we're back um, a bunch next year, February, March, and then, yeah. I've, again, I've heard rumors that we're going to have some more stuff after that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Just for in case people are interested in, in seeing or hearing you play, that seems mm. like a good opportunity. That's a good show to check out. Yeah. It's just definitely one I'm, I'm definitely proud to be a part of, and... Uh, it's really fun. And that's, obviously, her solo material is a little bit more on the hip-hop pop side, mm-hmm. sort of, than, than her old rock ska band was. Mm-hmm. So I assume that one is not quite as much synth bass as electric? Um, well, there's, there's quite a bit of synth bass in the show, but I'm not actually playing synth bass. Okay. We have two keyboard players. Oh. And so when we started the rehearsals, the MD um, just said... You know, he's like, I, I'd just rather see you up there with the bass around your neck and just like doubling synth where you can, yeah. you know. So I just kind of had to find parts that would fit within the synth bass and sometimes emulating the synth bass just mm-hmm. with effects and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I love playing synth bass. Like I'll, I yeah. was prepared to do it, had some stuff programmed, but, um, you know, with, with two keyboardists and then also some backing tracks, it was just like, yeah, just play bass. Cool. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just playing, playing electric bass the whole show. How many pieces is that band? Two keyboards, it's bass It's a five-piece band. Yeah. 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 yeah, two keyboards. Well, the two keyboards are like utility guys. They both play horns. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Bradley uh, plays trumpet and keys and some percussion, backup singing. Uh, Gabriel McNair plays trombone, keys, little guitar, um, and also sings backup. But no, those guys were in No Doubt. Uh, yeah. They've they've been in No Doubt since like mid nineties. Yeah. So which, she's which got is really her, cool. She's got her like home homeboys on there. Yeah. Which is nice. I mean, yeah. So they've you know they know this material inside and out. That's sort of the last few years of your life. The other two things that I know you've done, you mentioned Air Supply. Mm-hmm. You were sort of brought in as a member of the band there, or? Well, kind of. I mean, yeah, I mean, Air Supply is thought of as a band, but really it's a duo. Yeah. It's uh, Graham Russell and Russell Hitchcock. They're yeah. the two main guys, singers, songwriters. Um, and I think it, it's it's always been a duo with Sidemen. But yeah. But it's just called Air Supply. It's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's presented like a band. Yeah. You know, we're all kind of out there, you know, out there front and center. And, yeah. You know, yeah. I did I did that gig for a little over a year. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought it was longer. No, it really wasn't that long. It was, I started, um, I started as a sub, mm-hmm. uh, like June 2016. And then eventually they, uh, they asked me to, to join full time, which I did. And, um. They work a ton. They do like 120 shows a year. They're working all the time, all over the world. I had no idea, but their schedule's crazy. Like we played everywhere, um, and then it got to a point where uh, Shania was starting to do more stuff. She she dropped an album last year, and we were doing all kinds of promo, and we had some other kind of like bigger shows. Like we did Stagecoach, we headlined that, and uh, just a bunch of TV stuff. And she was getting a little bit busier, and I was starting to sub out Air Supply, and it just got to the point where. I just kind of had to make a decision to either be in the band or not be in the band because, you know, I was subbing out a bunch and wasn't totally working out with the subs. And uh, so then, yeah, I decided to step out of Air Supply um, and just make myself more available for Shania. Cool. Yeah, it seems like 120 dates is that that's sort of that point where you really can't have another main project. 
You can't. No, and fifty and or sixty day, it's different. You can sort of juggle. Yeah, that. yeah, that you're you're locked in because I mean we would you know typically it's it's mostly weekends. You know you mm-hmm. go out for a couple extended runs that are a few weeks, but mainly weekends. You leave on a Thursday. I mean it's like the Nashville thing, you know, yeah. except it's on a plane and not not so much a bus. But um, yeah, typically we'd leave on a Thursday. I'd get home on you know Sunday or Monday. We'd play we'd play a two or three show run. Always flying the day before the show. Um, I'd come home say Sunday, Monday, and at the time I was doing a steady uh, Wednesday night gig every Wednesday with new material every week, the thing at um, Lucky Strike. It's called Soundcheck Live. Yeah. It's now once a month. It was once a week. So I'd get home Sunday or Monday, immediately have to start shedding a whole set of music for Wednesday night, mm-hmm. play the show Wednesday, be up really late, and have an early flight Thursday morning, and it just, man, burn me out a little bit. <laughs> I, can th- I can imagine doing that show weekly would be a lot of work. Yeah, so we'll, we'll yeah. hop to that. You keep mentioning my next question the whole time, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, so uh, the, air, the, the Soundcheck Live thing, mm-hmm. that's now once a month. Yeah. That has, around town, me being sort of a, a new Los Angeles resident, that has a really good reputation around town as, as not getting too jammy or, or putting in people that, that maybe will bring down the quality of the experience. It seems right. like that's a well-established... Uh, musically fun thing to do, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's basically an organized jam. It's like mm-hmm. everybody knows what they're going to play before mm-hmm. they before they show up. It's it's not so much a jam as it is a show with you know thirty or so guest musicians. Mm-hmm. So there's a house band, um, and then you know we'll start the night and finish the night and then play sort of in between. But then we bring in yeah, it's like thirty people every night. Yeah, and it's all like you know it's all generally people that that we know or refer bring in that are all professionals mm-hmm. um and you're assigned a couple of songs and so you, you just learn it on your own you come in and play yeah and the house band like it varies sometimes we'll do maybe eight songs in a night sometimes we'll do 15 you know and it's always new like we try not to repeat songs mm-hmm. so it's like yeah there's always homework involved but it's it's a blast and so if any of the listeners are visiting la it's on wednesday it's, night it's the last wednesday, wednesday of every month okay and just also, so people know, they get really heavy guests. Like you've had Nuno recently, yeah, right? Yeah, Nuno comes in quite a bit. Yeah. Um, we had Jackson Brown once. Yeah. We had Colin Hay from uh, Men at Work. We've had, um, had a lot of other kind of guitar hero types. Like Tom Morello has been down a couple times. Steve Vai has been down. Richie Kotzen, uh, Stu Ham, bass player, he plays a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Just like a lot of guys from kind of well-known bands. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, so it's, it, that's the fun thing, I think, about L.A., is living here is a lot of the guys that were in cool bands when I was growing up are all here and still mm-hmm. playing locally. Mm-hmm. And then the the modern pop thing, the new guys are all here too. So I find it inspiring mm-hmm. that those two scenes are kind of colliding in this town. Yeah, that's the cool thing about it, you know. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we're primarily rock and pop. You know, it's it it's not so much an R and B funk thing. Every now and then, just depending on the kinds of players that we get in, mm-hmm. we'll get into the R and B and funk stuff. Yeah. But it's primarily like kind of a pop rock scene, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of getting guys who are doing pop gigs and then some of the older kind of rocker guys, you know, he has to like inter- intermingle. So all the stuff that we've talked about, Air Supply, Shania, Gwen Stefani, and the little Shakira sub thing here a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The only other thing that I've seen since I've known you, which is now, what, three years? The only other thing uh, I've seen you is the Mindy Abair thing. That Mm -hmm. seems to be your quote-unquote, like, passion project. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've been with her for about eight years now. Yeah. And um, a few years ago, it turned into this thing called Mindy Abear and the Bone Shakers. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bone Shakers is a group led by Randy Jacobs. It's a blues thing. Mm -hmm. It's a band he started um, when uh, he used to be in the band Was Not Was. Okay. And when that kind of was slowing down, he started the Bone Shakers, him and the singer from Was Not Was. And, um, and then they joined forces with Mindy. I was already in Mindy's band, and we sort of joined forces with the Bone Shakers, and it became... Mindy Abear and the Bone Shakers, a really fun band. Um, we did two records. We did a live record. Actually, our first gigs became a live record. We put it together, had a few rehearsals in town, and every February we go and do this four or five night run up at Jazz Alley in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So we did it, and that, that, those were our first gigs as a band doing it, and we recorded it, came out great, that became a live record. And then last year we went into a studio record that's been, that's been doing quite well, actually. Um, yeah, and I just got back from a little run with her. I just did a, a few shows with her. I was sort of unaware of her. I only just saw her name in your post, but then mm -hmm. I was at a local Los Angeles event called the Jam Jam. It's an app called Jam Card for oh, Musicians. Okay. Uh -huh. And it was an all-female night. They were highlighting mm -hmm. the female talent, which is mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. If you're a dude, be scared of the females because oh, they man. are kicking ass yeah. out here. Yep, yep. They are kicking ass. Sure. And... Uh, so she played with an uh, like in the female jam, and oh, she cool. just tore the roof off. Oh, man. she's amazing! Great she just player. like rolled into this jam. You have all these kind of hip hop chicks, and like she rolled in with like her leather pants and like the kind of old school rocker vibe, yeah. and just killed it. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, she's she's great. I'm I'm a I'm a fan of her as a as a musician and a person. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I'm I'm not going to be continuing that gig much. I've I've kind of. Um, become kind of a sub at this point. Yeah. Uh, ben White is going to be taking over the gig on bass. Um, mm -hmm. He's been filling in for me for the past few years. And Mindy was always cool with me sort of um, taking off to do, you know, when these high-profile things came up. She was always cool with me kind of stepping out and, and doing those and then coming back to the band. Mm -hmm. um, and then this year, it's just, it, things have been so crazy. And it just turns out that Ben was just there way more than I was, you know. Yeah. I was, you know, I was the main guy, but I was never there. Yeah. And it just became a thing where it's like, you know what, this it's having Ben, you know, step in to be the main guy is, is the right move. So so he's going to continue doing the gig, and I'll, now I'll be his sub. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's, so that's, cool. where, that's where we're at with, so, with that band. So that covers, like, your sort of high-profile gigs of the last few years and everything, mm -hmm. but... You just told me you've been in this house we're sitting in, this beautiful house, for 18 years. So yeah. You've been in Los Angeles a long time. And Oof, yeah, 21 can, years now I've been in L.A. Yeah. Crazy. Can you uh, sort of give us the uh, how you got started in this town and what prompted the move and okay. your first few years of, like, was there wedding gigs, clubs, networking, yep. all that? All of the above. Yeah. Um, yeah, I came here in 97. I was... Um, I, I, I finished school in Miami. Mm -hmm. I know you went there for a short time, Short too. time. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I finished school in Miami, moved to Boston. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was a singer, and she was transferring to Berkeley. She wasn't done with school yet. I was like, oh, I'll go to Boston. Like, maybe that's a good place to you know, start a music career. So I went there, loved the city, but couldn't get any kind of gigs happening there. And, uh, yeah, so I was there less than a year. And then I was going to move to San Fran. I had some friends that were up there. I was into the jazz thing at the time, you know, playing creative music and all that. Um, I had friends that were doing that in San Fran. I was like, oh, you know, I'll go up there. It'd be cool. But my parents at the time had, my parents had, had moved to L.A. Uh, while I was in college, they'd moved to L.A. And I didn't really know L.A. that well. I'd only been out here to visit a couple times. But I figured I'd go hang with them for a little bit, maybe save some money, not pay rent for a couple months, you know, and uh, get a day job or something and then go to San Fran. So that was my plan. But then I got to L.A. and, you know, 
couple days in, I had friends from college that had moved out here, and they were throwing me gigs and all that. And it, once I saw the scene and how lively it is, I was like, yeah, there's no reason to leave L.A. Yeah. Like, so then I, I stayed. Yeah, so that was May 97 that I got out here. Were you finding that the type of gigs that your friends were throwing you, like your college friends from Miami that moved out here, was there like a jazz scene out here, or was it a lot of rock and roll cover stuff? Or It was a little bit of both. I mean, it's, you know, like a... As a lot of us do, I just I paid my dues back in the day. You yeah. know, you do a lot of kind of you know lower level things or whatever, whatever you can do, just yeah. to make a few dollars here and there and just play and get to know people. So I did a lot of that. Like actually, my first you know gigs, I say that with air quotes, were um, like doing street performer stuff. Like we used to go out to Universal City or Third Street Promenade and just like play jazz trio stuff. Which are tourist spots for people that are familiar <laughs> with LA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so we would go out and like just do little jazz trio stuff for for tips. So those are like my first gigs, you know, and then that turned into like maybe doing you know some little restaurant like little cafe jazz gigs and things like that. And then at the time they had a thing called Musicians Contact Service. I don't know if they still have it, but it was like it was kind of before the internet was a big thing. This is '97, and it was a, like a phone thing. You'd call in, you know, you'd. you'd You'd, you know, you'd hit three to hear the bass gigs, you know, and then, then there'd be a guy, his, awesome. his name was Sterling something, and he, he would always just, like, read the ads for who needed a bass player, and then if, if it's interested you, it'd be a phone number, and you'd call. So I got one of my first kind of, like, paying gigs that way. I just joined, joined this uh, R&B cover band. We used to play these five-night runs at the Commerce Casino, this total shithole off the five freeway, um, and I would just do these, you know, R&B gigs in, in the lounge there. And we just we played just bars around town, and then from there I joined another bar band that actually started playing some weddings and some higher paying gigs. Uh, this thing called Joe's Band, and it was like we played all the beach bars, and then that turned into like doing a lot of wedding gigs and stuff like that. Eventually, corporate gigs, and so yeah, and I just did tons of singer songwriter stuff. You know, at like places like Genghis Cohen and the Mint, and some places that aren't there anymore. Some of the Sunset Strip places like the Whiskey and the Roxy and all that Viper Room. And, uh, yeah, and then just, you know, the longer you're here, the more gigs you do, you get to know more people, they refer you for other things, and luckily it sort of, like, you know, started to climb up the ladder a little bit. So what was your first artist gig? Um, I think the first one was with a guy named Brian Auger. He's a ripping B3 organ player. Mm -hmm. um, he had a band called uh, Brian Auger Trinity back in the 60s, and then Brian Auger's Oblivion Express in the 70s, which is still what the band is. And he's kind of like an acid jazz fusion B3 player. Mm -hmm. And so my first kind of touring gigs were with him. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, we played a lot of Europe, states. We, we did Japan. Uh, did I go to New Zealand? I went to Australia. Yeah, Australia, New Zealand with him. So, um, yeah, so I spent a lot of years playing with him, actually. Yeah, really fun gig. Yeah, cool. Yeah. On the sort of bass nerd side of things... I saw some interesting social media pictures when you were sort of assembling your rig mm. for the Gwen thing, which is, that's a quiet stage gig, right? Yeah, yeah, no yeah. amps. Yeah, which is super common nowadays. So oh, for the, yeah, for all the big tours, it's, they're all amplas. How did you sort of build your signal chain for that current gig? Well, um, first I went totally analog. Um, I've been kind of fighting the digital thing for years with that stuff. I'm just kind of an analog snob. So I built a pedal rack or I had my tech build me a, a, a pedal rack where I had two pull out drawers with a bunch of pedals. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of space for effects in that mm -hmm. game. Uh, so I, you know, a couple overdrives, um, couple octave pedals with different settings and a bunch of stuff. So I, I had that. And then the centerpiece of the rig was my noble tube preamp DI. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then I experimented with a couple different uh, cabinet simulators because I was trying to do two signals, one that was the DI and one that was, you know, like a virtual mic damp. So I was using, I, I have this thing called the uh, OmniCab Sim made by a company called DSM Noisemaker. I used that a little bit. Who is sponsoring this episode, by the way. Really? Yeah. All right, cool. Great, great, great pedal. Yeah. Things great. Um, so I was using that and then another one and... But then, um, once we got into full production rehearsals, my, my rig was, um, both my rig and the guitar player's rig were off stage, like in Guitar World, you know, and it was in this little nook of the uh, giant staircase they were using. And they have so many crazy lights and, like, light up rainbows and bananas and all this crazy, you know, prop stuff with, like, all these, you know, and video screens and all this stuff. And it was so hard to get the rig to not buzz. Like, certain pedals would buzz when they interacted with other pedals. And uh, both me and the guitar player had like major kind of ground buzz issues, and uh, our tech was just pulling his hair out trying to like track down all these buzzes. And then finally, I was I was just like, you know what? Screw it! I'm getting a Kemper. So I got a Kemper Profiler, and ordered it from Sweetwater. Got it shipped overnight, and I had like you know one night to get it dialed in, then two rehearsals before showtime. But I'm like, you know what? This is probably the best solution. So I did, and man, for that kind of gig, that thing is great. And I don't, I'm not. Kemper artists, I don't endorse them officially. You know, it's just I just bought it outright, and man, it's it's been awesome. So, what what type of signal change did you end up profiling? So, I, I never got a chance to profile my, my own amp. Like I, I use Aguilar amps. I use a DB750 and and a couple DB410 caps, which is great. It's always my you know first choice of rigs. Um, but I was already out in Vegas when I got the Kemper profiler, so I couldn't profile that amp. So I just had to find rigs. Like people trade rigs, people sell rigs. It comes with a bunch, so you can audition all kinds of different rigs. So basically, I just um, I just searched kind of like the user database. Uh, it's a really easy thing. It's like you just kind of plug in, just kind of check out all these rigs. Found one that I liked, um, picked that, and then for different songs, use different different levels of gain because some have a little bit more dirt than others. So I just found like an Ampeg SVT profile. And then just kind of like cranked up the gain on some of, on some of the songs, and so that was the amp. And then I just used different effects, used some octaves, um, yeah, a bunch of different things, uh, yeah. But then so that so I was just using that, and it ended up working great. Yeah. No buzz. Front of house guy loved it. Um, yeah. So that would that ended up being the rig for for Glenn. That's interesting, man. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. And it's it took me so long to get into the digital thing. Like all the Shania guys use Kemper profilers. Mm-hmm. And when I first joined that band, I got together with Corey, and he was showing me his, and I was checking it out, and I was like, ah, I don't know, I'm still skeptical. I still like my analog stuff, you know, and uh, and now I'm a believer. Yeah. Know? Especially especially for a gig like this. I mean, I'll always prefer to use an amp. I'll always prefer to have my Aguilar amp there. Uh, but if if it's you know that kind of gig where you can't use an amp, this thing is is great. You know, it has everything built into it, and everything got switched via MIDI from the show computer, so I, I didn't even have a foot controller on stage. Just all got, you know, yeah, had all the patch changes put into uh, DP. Very cool. Yeah. that I really dig is you really seem to have a great sideman chameleon thing. I've heard you play great mm. funk stuff and I've heard you play great rock and pop stuff. You seem to be very sort of w- well-versed. And of course, that's a job requirement at this stage of your career. But sure. uh, 
it leads me to sort of be interested in your influences and like okay. where you came where you came from. Yeah. And it can be some of the not cool ones too that we now know <laughs> can't really play that well, but that you loved as a kid. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I, my influences are all over the map. And I, as a kid, I just I went through so many different musical phases where like I was a I was a metalhead, I was a deadhead, I was a jazzer, you know, I was a fusion head. Then I got really into old school funk and R and B, and then. Um, yeah, now I just I listen to everything now, and I just kind of soak up influence from everything. But as far as bass players go, you know, definitely Paul McCartney, Pino Palladino, James Jamerson, like those are some of my favorites. Um, Rocco Prestia, Marcus Miller, Stevie Wonder, Greg Fillinganes, you know, a lot of his synth-based stuff, mm -hmm. Michael Jackson stuff, uh, Prince for sure, Larry Graham, you know. Um, and I just, but but you know, with every gig I do, I just try to be authentic with it. You know, I, I I'm not going to bring Marcus Miller influence into playing some like rock gig like i'm not going to go marcus on you know shania tune yeah. you know so it's like all these influence all these influences kind of uh you know i apply them to whatever gig that i'm on yeah you know and i love playing all of it that's the thing it's like i don't i don't just like playing one style of music i don't consider myself a rock guy or a country guy or a funk guy i just i love playing all those kinds of music and luckily been able to do that like every every gig every tour that i've done has been different that's one thing I, I love about the LA scene is that there's so many different things happening. Yeah. You know, and luckily I, I guess I haven't become pigeonholed into one certain thing. Yeah, that's certainly an asset. It's been cool. Yeah. It keeps things interesting. And uh, what before I forget, you mentioned Greg, Greg Fillinganes, who's a big legendary uh, LA keyboard player, played some of the biggest records that everyone has. Mm -hmm. My dear friend who inspired me to start this podcast, Shane Terrio, the MD for Hall & Oates, mm. has a podcast called Riff Raff, which I've told you guys about before, if you're listening. He just did a whole episode with Greg Fillinganes, and it's, I know it's extra long, and he said it has the best stories pretty much out of all his episodes. So go check out Greg Fillinganes on the Riff Raff podcast. i got to check that out. Yeah. I'm that, sure he's got amazing stories. Man. Yeah. That guy's worked with everybody. And uh, my buddy Shane... Uh, he has an uncanny ability to get these people to just spill the yeah. beans, too. So, <laughs> cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Go check that out. So, we got bases here. The reason you guys have listened through this talk for like an hour with uh, with a buzz in the background is because we got two bass rigs just sitting there buzzing. Um, <laughs> or the fan is probably what you're hearing. Yeah, yeah. We got a B-15 and we got a full-on Aguilar rig back there. So, if you don't mind... Grabbing a bass, or I'll, right. te I'll tech for you so you can... Oh, cool, yeah. <laughs> Slapping the bass, man. Slapping the bass, man. You said you listened to the uh, Amos episode. I, I did yeah. this to him with no warning, too. You're not going to make me play Taylor Swift bass lines, are you? No. Because I don't know any. No, <laughs> but um, usually bass lines by themselves sometimes aren't that cool, but in a certain song where they're supposed to be, they are the cat's meow. So right now on the Gwen gigs, I'm... The Gwen or the Shakira mm -hmm. gig. What are what are some of your favorite little pieces you get to play in those songs? Oh uh, well, of course, there's a. You know, Sunday yeah. morning, yeah. and there's also you know. Webs, you know? Yeah, those are fun. Um, God, don't speak is so fun too. Yeah, love that baseline. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as the Shakira thing, some of the most fun, um, 
stuff with Shakira was like the real Latin, Latin-y kind of stuff. That's you know? kind of what I'm curious about, too. Yeah. Like that um, side of her. Yeah, what were some of the ones? God. Again, it's that whole thing, like, since I did Shakira, then I had to make room in my brain for, for Mindy stuff and now Shania stuff. Yeah. So it's like, uh, stuff has like vacated my, my brain. Um, what's, there's one called uh, La, La, so I'm going to say it with a shitty accent, but La Tortura, which I don't even know what that means. I think it probably means the torture. I don't know. Yeah. get my Spanish You're, you're from That's Pittsburgh. Great you're allowed to have an accent. Yeah, yeah, right, right. What's that one? I think it's in a D. It's like... Something like that, you know. Yeah. But yeah, that was an upright one. That was really fun to play. Um, that uh, yeah. is has been one of the most inspiring things for me about living in LA. Is all of a sudden I just decided that all right, I'm surrounded by a lot of Hispanic culture. The history of mm-hmm. this town mm-hmm. is. I've been I've been just I've been turning on the the channels on the radio, and just listening to a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. because it just feels like this city. It's almost like you lived in Miami, so you know mm-hmm. it's like you just sort of get attracted to it because it's yeah. all around you yeah 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 of course and and it, it's all good you know yeah it's like like i was saying before like i just i like playing all all different styles of music and i love playing latin music whenever i get the chance yeah you know i don't get a whole lot of chances to play that stuff but every now and then something will come up um, i've been playing on some latin records lately and that's been a lot of fun um and uh yeah the shakir thing was just a blast getting to, getting to do some of that stuff so as far as the shania bass lines i wrote a few articles on that last year on the uh, or maybe the year before Mutt Lang is known for his very rigid, no frills is the middle name really, uh, an understatement, bass lines of her songs, but mm. the cutoffs of the note, learning that stuff, I just found like it's all in the cutoffs on her. Yeah, yeah, note length is everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, anything from that show that you're, since you're currently in that yeah, mode there's too? there's some really fun ones, but I, you know, some of my most... Favorite bass lines from that show involve using a pick, and I think I have one in my pocket. But yeah, hold on, I've got one. I've got one in my wallet here. <laughs> one one bass line I love playing is "Don't Be Stupid." Uh, yeah. That and also, um, if you're not in it for love, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chorus of that is, is a. like that yeah. it's so fun you yeah know, just all downstrokes yeah pick you know yeah. yeah those are fun fun bass lines just being such a fan of a lot of Mutt Lang records I talked to my buddy who plays bass for the course has played for them the Irish band the course oh, okay they had a hit about 15 years ago not huge hit called Breathless and it was like the most Mutt Lang sounding song oh ever like cool. Mutt produced it and it just sounds like I think he wrote it too it's like Mm. everything that you love about the greatest Shania and Duff Leppard songs all in one song. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. And it just sounds like all downstrokes. It sounds mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. So I asked him once, I go, it sounds like you just played downstrokes with a pick all song. He goes, and that Mutt probably gave you like super specific directions. Talking to, you know, Corey or Brent Barkus, who used to be in Shania's band, talking to those mm-hmm. guys. Or Randall Waller used to be in her band too, and hearing their much stories, you just figure, oh, he was over the shoulder during the session, mm-hmm. dictating every bass note, and you're mm-hmm. not allowed to improvise at all. And he probably took 
three days, even though you're amazing, is what I told my buddy uh-huh. who plays for the chorus. He goes, no, I wanted to play the song twice. It was like 10 minutes. Wow. And I said, it sounds like all downstrokes. And he goes, no, I played actually with the fing- fingers. I go, crazy. Surely just one finger, right? Like Huey from, McDo- from uh, Bon Jovi plays eighth notes with one finger oh, to get okay. it more even, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. Jamerson, yeah. another. Uh, yeah, uh, the hook. So... So he said, no, it was two-finger alteration, too. And I'm like, it doesn't sound like that. It does huh. not sound like that. He goes, Mutt had his Pro Tools engineer go into the bass track and put, and it's a fast song, too. So there's, mm-hmm. I don't know, a thousand eighth notes in there. Mm-hmm. He said he, he had his Pro Tools engineer go in and put a small percussive sound on every single bass note. Wow. Wow. <laughs> to make it sound like a pick song, but he still didn't mind me playing with my fingers. And but instead of making him play with the pick, he yeah, did that. And, and the direction direction before oh. he recorded the song was, uh, yeah, just keep it simple and do a little fill going into the bridge. Wow, so he likes to just manipulate stuff after the fact. Yeah. Well, I mean, you hear stories about some of the Def Leppard stuff where, you know, a, a, some solo or some part where it, it was just recorded one note at a time or something, or like one string at a time. Or like some chordal thing, I think, even, where he just recorded each string separately. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's wild. He's, he's, definitely, he's definitely got a unique process. It's worked out well for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's just the, the study of the, of the Shania Bay stuff is just really a study in what Mutt prefers. And I read sure. an interview many years ago with Paul Lyme, who played on a lot of that stuff. Oh, Drum, cool. Nashville drummer. Cool. Uh, used to be an L.A. drummer, I think, back in the 80s. Mm. And, and he just said, yeah, Mutt was just real picky about no bass note could ever go over the snare hit. Like, oh, okay. Bum, bum, you know, the half notes could never really be full half notes. They had to end yeah, on the I snare. Guess, I, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Cause, yeah, um, yeah and, and in playing that, I never really thought about that consciously, but now that you mention that, like, yeah, yeah there are a lot. There's uh, one tune called... Um, um, Love gets me every time, yeah. and, it, and it's just like I'm just playing these chord notes. But now that you mention it, I caught off at every snare. It's just yeah, right on the snare. So the notes are long, but they're not. They don't ring out. You yeah. know, they're not like half notes. It's not yeah. like you know. But they cut off right when the snare hits. That yeah. little, I always say that little hole after the snare is the way to make white people music funky but not too funky right just that, little, that, that little hump there you know yeah. yeah interesting yeah I never really consciously thought about that but yeah it makes a lot of sense it for the eighth episode of the lowdown society podcast if you guys are digging this please let your friends all your musician friends know whether they're bass players or not about this podcast and give us a review or share about it 
Um, this podcast is not something that happens every week or even bi-weekly. So with fewer episodes comes fewer chances for me to promote it. So if you guys are enjoying it, please give me a hand and let your buddies know about it. And uh, I appreciate all of it so much. And I'm so glad to hear from all of the Bay sisters and brothers that are listening to this. So stay funky, stay low, and I'll see you right back here on the Lowdown Society Podcast.